Support for today's Heat Treat Radio episode is provided by Heat Treat Buyer's Guide. Learn more at www.heattreatbuyersguide.com. Welcome to Heat Treat Radio. I'm your host, Bethany Funk, editor of Heat Treat Radio. Today, Doug Glenn, publisher of Heat Treat Today, and James Dean of Plastometrics will talk about material characterization and heat treat. Let's take a listen. Today, we're, we're going a bit international. We're going to have a conversation with uh, Mr. James Dean from Plastometrex in the UK, which is uh, uh, obviously a far spell from Pittsburgh, which is where I'm located. Uh, James, welcome to Heat Treat Radio. We're looking forward to talking with you. Thanks, Doug. Nice to be here. Yeah. So we want to talk a bit about uh, basically materials characterization and things of that sort. Uh, testing. Uh, I'm gonna. I'm gonna. We'll get into specifically what part of that in just a bit. But uh, first, uh, James, if you don't mind, let's just briefly just to let people know who you are, the qualifications you have to be talking about uh, about the topic that we will be hitting on and uh, whatnot about your your history in the in the heat treat industry or or um, in the materials characterization industry. Sure, no problem. Um, quick background then. I'm a material scientist uh, from the UK, as you've already mentioned. Uh, I first studied materials as a young undergraduate at Imperial College in London. Um, that was way back now in the year 2000. And um, I subsequently went on to do a PhD at Cambridge, also material science. And I guess it was during that period when I really first became interested in the mechanical behavior of materials, uh, particularly strength characteristics um, and the relationship between those strength characteristics and underlying microstructural features. In fact, one vivid memory that I have from an undergraduate laboratory class was measuring vicus hardness numbers uh, on age-hardening aluminium copper alloys and monitoring uh, the changes that occurred with different heat treatment times. Uh, and that always struck me as being quite powerful because it meant that we could tune mechanical properties. Uh, and up until that point, I hadn't fully appreciated that that was possible. Um, I guess what's a little more unfortunate is that I've also since learned that um, if we want to achieve a particular characteristic, a high strength, for example, um, we often have to do so at the expense of another you know, usually ah. the ductility. Uh, and I guess that's why material scientists all over the world continue to look for new compositions, new alloy systems, and even novel heat treatments uh, that offer mechanical performance improvements that perhaps haven't yet been realised. And I guess my involvement in this industry is driven simply by my interest in these things, um, which is why I feel uh, really extremely lucky uh, to be leading a company like Plastometrex. Yeah. Yeah, great. That's that's good. And tell, so, tell us a bit about the company. I mean, you've you've uh, you're the CEO there, guys. Are, as I mentioned, I think earlier, you're located in Cambridge, UK. So, tell us about the company, a little bit about the history and products and things of that sort. Yeah, sure. Okay. Um, so, Plastometrix is a company uh, that develops novel mechanical testing systems uh, that are powered by advanced software tools. And, and by advanced, what I really mean is state-of-the-art modeling methods, um, things like finite element analysis, optimization algorithms, uh, and also, uh, forgive the buzzwords, but machine learning tools mm -hmm. as well. And, and these are needed because 
our machines measure stress drain curves and metal strength parameters from quick and simple indentation tests. Uh, now, you might, with some justification, say that people have been indenting materials for centuries, and of course that's true, but people have been doing this simply to measure hardness numbers, right. predominantly at least, and uh, I guess we might argue that anybody that understands a little bit about hardness testing probably also understands that hardness numbers are not fundamental material properties. They would understand that a material's hardness number actually changes if you change the shape of the indenter that you use or if you change the load that you apply. So uh, hardness numbers can only really be used in a semi-quantitative way to rank materials. They can't be used in a design calculation uh, or in a finite element analysis. So to use them as proxies for strength, which is often done, can in fact be uh, potentially dangerous. Um, yeah. I would go on to say that unfortunately, hardness numbers are often accorded a much higher significance than they really deserve. Uh, and my own view is that it's much better to have access to fundamental strength characteristics uh, which is why we've been spending our time developing these new machines and their associated software packages. Um, so to, to wrap up the question, I, I'd just say that the technique is called indentation plus stometry, and it was developed over a 10 to 12-year period of research led mostly by Professor Bill Klein uh, and his research group in Cambridge. Uh, and on the back of that, we established Plastometrex in late 2018 to commercialise the technology, um, and that's really a sort of a quick intro to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you, but you're so you're saying the company Plastometrex established in 2018. Yes. Yeah, and uh, so we're about three years into it, I guess. Fairly, fairly successful so far. I mean, are you happy with the progress? I would say that we're reasonably happy with our progress so far. Of course, like a lot of companies, we're just coming out of uh, this rather difficult period yeah. because of COVID. Yeah. Uh, and what that means for a, a company like ours, which I guess you could still class as a startup, is that yeah. it's just much harder to sell equipment. Yeah. Uh, what we are finding right now is that lots of companies uh, have rationalized their organizations in various different ways. And one of the first things that companies seem to have done, which is quite understandable, is put restrictions on their capex spending. Yeah. Okay. So I, I, look, that's just um, something that we, like most companies, are having to deal with at the moment. Right. But notwithstanding that, uh, I would say we still make good progress. We um, managed to secure quite substantial amounts of um, investment. Uh, one of our lead investors is Element Materials Technology. Yes. Okay. They're one of the world's leading providers of testing, inspection, and certification. Yeah. services. Uh, we're, uh, we're still employing uh, more people. At this stage, we're launching new initiatives. We are selling machines despite uh, the current yeah. climate. So um, our trajectory looks quite good right yeah. now. Good, good. And where are, you, where are you selling primarily? Is it mostly Europe or are you have you been selling? It's mostly Europe at the moment. Yeah. Uh, yeah. We have actually okay. sold um, one of our machines actually to uh, Worcester Polytechnic Institute yeah, in North WPI. America. Indeed. Yeah, yeah, we know that. Um, yeah. And we, we're actually having conversations right now, I won't disclose them, but with other North American universities who are, have expressed um, an interest in technologies like ours. Good, good, good. Very good, very good. Well, it's good to see good to see a young company doing well even in the midst of uh, even in the midst of COVID. So congratulations on yeah, that. Thank you. Yeah. So broadly speaking, your company's dealing with 
materials characterization and testing, very, very broadly speaking, the equipment you produce, what properties is in fact is is it intended to characterize? I mean, you've already hit on this a little bit, stress, strain, et cetera. Maybe briefly explain uh, each of those properties for anyone that might not know what the difference to those of those things are. Uh, just sure. quick one oh one. Okay. <laughs> materials one of one. Materials one of one. And it, we'll give you a whole two or three minutes to do it, you know. <laughs> <laughs> I, I perhaps won't need that long. Um, I mean, the very quick answer to your question, Doug, is that we are measuring plasticity characteristics or, or strength characteristics, and they're often best captured or best represented in the form of a stress-strain curve. Mm-hmm. Now, the stress-strain curve of a material is really quite important uh, since from it you can deduce important features like the stiffness of the material, uh, but then other features such as those I've described that relate to the plasticity characteristics. So these are things like the yield stress of the material, which is the stress at which the material starts to plastically deform or, i.e., permanently change its shape. Yep. Okay? Uh, you can also, though, view the hardening behaviour as the material continues to strain, which is often quite important. Uh, and you can also extract from these stress-strain curves things like an ultimate tensile strength mm. or a fracture strength. You know, And these things can be used in things like um, design calculations. Um, now, from the stress-strain curve, you can also extract a ductility value, which is a nominal strain at fracture for those people in the know. Um, but like hardness numbers, um, the ductility value is also not a fundamental material property. And actually, this is often not understood. Um, the ductility value actually changes depending on the test geometry that you use. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's an important thing to understand because um, people often use the ductility um, in things like engineering critical assessments, not fully understanding that that value can be uh, different depending on the test that you did. Yeah. Um, anyway, I think the important message here is that indentation plastometry can be used to measure things like the yield stress, to measure the uniform elongation strain, and to measure the ultimate tensile strength of a material. Um, but our technique can also be used if you want to, to calculate things like the Vickers and the Brunel hardness numbers as well. Right. Uh, but the limitations around hardness numbers that I've already outlined still apply. Got it. Got it. Very good. Very good. All right, so your so your product is basically offering a new way of doing some of these tests, right? I mean, basically, it's you're kind of looking. It almost looks like just a hardness test because you're doing the indentation, but you're getting a heck of a lot more out of it. So maybe, and again, just one on one. How have these tests been done in the past, and what is your what is the method that you've been developing here over the past three years? How's that uh, How's that differ, and what's the benefit? Sure. The current gold standard for mechanical testing is the uniaxial tensile test. And, uh, well, to us at least, that is a, another test, uh, another mechanical test that hasn't fundamentally changed, well, for almost a century, actually. Um, yeah. And in principle, it's a rather simple test where you take a test specimen in the form of a testing coupon and you stretch it okay, yeah. or strain it, to use the proper term. Yeah. And you do that until it breaks. Okay. Now, if you monitor the forces and the displacements during the test, it's very easy to calculate the stresses and strains within the sample. Okay, But there are a number of problems with this type of testing machine. Uh, the first is that you need to have access to quite a lot of the material uh, that you want to test because the test specimen is usually quite large, often in the centimetre dimension range. Mm-hmm. Um, that also means that the material that you want to test needs to be machinable. 
uh, and not all materials are right. not metals at least and I'm, I'm referring mostly to metals here yeah um, in fact some are actually quite difficult to machine so that this process of machining test coupons can be uh, quite a cumbersome one often quite time consuming too uh, especially if you need to outsource these procedures now the test itself also requires access to a large often very expensive universal test machine and in addition, a suitably trained technician yeah. as well. Okay. Yeah. Um, and there can be further problems with things like uh, specimen gripping, uh, alignment of the specimen, machine compliance, other things like that. Whereas, uh, and of course I'm biased, uh, a machine like the imitation plastometer uh, really combines the very best attributes of uh, hardness testing, yeah. which is speed, ease, and simplicity of testing, with the very best attributes of tensile testing, which is acquisition and access to full stress strain curves. Okay, right. uh, And I guess I would just uh, add to that as well, that with a machine like ours, you can test real components uh, and yeah. you can map spatial variations in properties across surfaces, such as those, for example, that might exist across a weld. Okay, so yeah. again, in summary, we think you get the best of both worlds with our machine. Uh, yeah. In fact, in some cases, even, even even things that are better than either machine. Right, 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 right. So maybe, I mean, you may have already you might have already stated this a little bit, but just briefly, indentation plastometry, basically taking an indentation to be able to test not just hardness or not even necessarily hardness, but the the deformation of the of material, the strain, and is it highly dependent on? I mean, do you have to know the microstructure of the material when you when you're when you're doing these tests? That's a good question. Um, in principle, no. Um, if we were to sort of dig deep into the mechanics of what's going on within our system and our software package, uh, you would come to recognise that it's sort of um, well, from a mathematical point of view, at least, insensitive to microstructural features. Okay, okay so we're treating, uh, there's, a, there's a, a numerical method underlying this, uh, a finite element analysis, and we uh, are therefore treating this as a continuum um, system, uh, which doesn't take account um, explicitly of the microstructure. Okay, but when you're doing the test, it's actually helpful to know something about the microstructure simply because our our technology is all about extracting bulk mechanical behavior engineering properties uh, and therefore when we do our indentation test it's important that we are indenting a representative volume of the material mm -hmm. it's important that we are capturing all of the microstructural features that give rise to the behavior you would measure in a macroscopic stress drain test yeah okay Otherwise, you can't pull out those bulk or engineering properties. Right. And therefore, the scale on which you do the indent is important. Your indenter has to be large relative to the scale of the microstructure. So it's only at that level that you need to understand or know anything about the microstructure. Okay, okay, gotcha, gotcha. Uh, the, and this, this test, a couple of questions here. One, obviously, this test is a non-destructive test, right? You said you can actually test live materials correct? Yep. I mean, you don't have to destroy them, you don't have to machine them, you don't have to make them into a, something you can rip apart, right? That's right, you don't have to do that. Is there a limitation on the size of uh, the product that you can test? It, it, I mean, do you have to put this thing in into a machine to, to clamp it down to do the uh, indentation or? Yep. 
there are some limitations, uh, and uh, if it's all right, I'll, I'll come back to those in a second. I just want to address yeah. the first point. Actually, it wasn't a question, but you, you've referenced sure. it, so I'm going to I'm going to pick yeah, up on it, which is on. about it's about whether this test is non-destructive or not, and it's an interesting question, uh, and I think really it's a matter of perspective, um, or sometimes a matter of even industry. Yeah. So we don't destroy test samples in the same way you do during a normal tensile test. Right. Okay, but we do create small indents in the surface of a specimen. So whether that can be regarded as, as destructive is is really right. open to interpretation. So yeah. our colleagues in the aerospace industry probably wouldn't be comfortable testing a turbine blade and then putting it back into service, yes. even if the indent is relatively small. Right. So on right. that right. basis, they might consider the test to be a destructive one. Yeah. But actually, for many other applications, we and others actually would regard our test is a non-destructive one. And indeed, that's often how we pitch it when we're right. out there trying to... Right, okay. right, right. Yeah. And, and then to the to the second question, which is about um, limitations on size. Size or geometry or, you know, shape or anything of that sort. Uh, th there's, there's no restrictions uh, on shape uh, per se. It's important that the specimen uh, has got two parallel sides. Okay. Okay, so when you put it on the plinth under which when you do the testing, yeah. when you come down normal to that surface with the indenter, you want them to be as flat as possible. Yeah, okay. okay. We can accommodate small inclines up to two or three degrees, um, uh, but ideally they would be parallel. So that's one constraint. Right. Um, and then um, in terms of total size, well, uh, if you look at our benchtop machine, and anyone, anybody visiting our website will be able to see it, right. uh, it's got a sort of like a, a window, if you like, a, a cavity, where you can put your specimens into, which has got a width of about 20 centimetres. Okay. A height of about seven centimetres and a depth, which is also probably about 20 centimetres as well. So that is what is governing and dictating the maximum size of sample you can put in there at the right. moment. Okay. Right. In terms of the other direction, how small can you go? Yeah. Well, we advise people not to indent anything that has lateral dimensions less than about five by five millimeters. Okay. Uh, and that is because uh, if you start to indent close to edges, you can get edge effects. Uh, and therefore in our software package behind the scenes, uh, the modeling assumptions that we impose start to break down. Right, right. In addition to that, in terms of the sample thickness, we typically impose a, a minimum height of about two millimeters. Okay. Mm -hmm. And again, that is because in our underlying software package, the modeling assumptions assume that what you're indenting is essentially semi-infinite in size. And if you're yep. indenting thin samples, that assumption breaks down too. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So that's yep. what's driving those constraints on sample right. size. And and being able to run a test on a spherical object is not a problem as long as you can get it flat. I mean, like pipe, tube, that type of stuff, if you want it, no, no yep. issues there. Okay. Well, that's, the pipes are interesting, uh, actually. Now, one of the things that we're working on right now as a company is uh, an infield testing uh, kits or portable uh, indentation okay. flash yeah. uh, and our immediate focus is on the pipeline uh, materials. Yeah. Uh, in fact, you might know this, there's some new legislation in North America called the Mega Rule, which is now mandating that pipeline operators inspect their pipes. Uh, I think it's probably every one mile intervals ah. at the moment. Um, and one of the tests that they need to do is, is, is a strength test. Um, okay. You know, so there's a, there's a big opportunity out there potentially for the testing of pipe materials. And a technology like ours is something that could support and enable that. Right. Uh, but then coming back to your question as well, what about uh, indenting a surface that is curved? Okay, which is what this really relates to. Uh, and then it's simply, again, a matter of scale. If, if it's got extremely um, high curvature, 
and you come down with an indenter such that the curvature is large with respect to the indenter size, then you can have problems. If it's if the curvature is small relative to the scale of right. the indenter, then it's okay. I.e., if you come down and it still looks like a flat surface to the indenter because of the differences in scale, then you're okay. Then you're and I okay. think you said you had the one to two degree, two to three degree, whatever the tolerance, which would come into play there. Okay. When we return, James will describe why and how you could benefit from this technology. But let me take one minute to remind you that the Heat Treat Buyer's Guide is live and filled with suppliers ready to meet each of your heat treating needs. It's easy to use and it's filled with options for you to choose from. The Heat Treat Buyer's Guide was launched this year and the first print edition of the Buyer's Guide was sent out last month. Access the digital edition of the Buyer's Guide at www.heattreattoday.com forward slash media forward slash digital hyphen editions or simply search the website, which is heattreatbuyersguide.com. Again, that's heattreatbuyersguide.com. Now, let's return to James and Doug. Most anybody that's going to buy this equipment is going to say, okay, what's in it for me, right? Why should I buy this thing as opposed to going the, the normal route or things of that sort? So talk to us a little bit, James, about the the overall expense, overall experience with your equipment, why would it be something that people would would pick up? Yeah, well, I guess from an experience point of view, um, I think one of our key objectives while developing the technology and indeed the supporting software has been to ensure that the experience of using the system is a smooth one. Mm-hmm. So we've attempted to minimize the level of interaction that the user needs to have with the machine and the software and also to try and maximize the degree of automation uh, and I think that we've been able to strike the right balance. I think the workflow is simple and intuitive. And importantly, we present the results in a format that the users would recognize if they've previously done conventional mechanical testing. Right. Um, I think one of the key attributes, if you like, one of the key saleable attributes of our system is that you can measure full stress drain curves in just a few minutes, uh-huh. literally. It's two, yeah. two or three minutes, okay? So almost in real time. Yeah, And when you're doing this thing in real time, it's potentially transformative for lots of businesses in lots of different ways because it unlocks that materials testing bottleneck that lots of companies are already familiar with. Yeah. You know, so I don't like the term, but the value proposition, if you like, is speed of testing, ease of testing, simplicity of testing, right. etc. Um, that's where you're going to derive most value from a machine like ours. Yeah, yeah. Now, do you have any, you have any just trying to put legs on this. you have any examples of where somebody's used this? Uh, you don't need to mention names, of course. I'm not asking for company names, but maybe an industry where somebody's been able to kind of move their testing from into real-time testing. And if you don't, that's also okay. But. No, that's fine. We, we, I can give you a couple of examples which uh, we can disclose. So we've got some people at the moment using our uh, machine for high-throughput testing uh, and combinatorial analysis with things like additively manufactured uh, metals. Okay. Uh, uh, that is basically where companies that are using uh, additively manufactured systems are very keen to understand how uh, changes in process parameters and changes in alloy composition and changes in powder type and powder size distribution, what effect that has on the mechanical properties. Yes. Now, if you want to do this using conventional systems, you've got to print tensile specimens uh, or other types of coupons, and then you've got to print them, uh, test them. It's quite cumbersome. Whereas with our machine, you can just print a small, I don't know, cube or something like that, or a small disc, and then you can immediately indent it. 
and you right. get stress drain curves. So you can do essentially rapid design exploration, yeah. rapid process optimization. Yeah. Uh, and this is not just specific to AM processes either. You know, wherever you've got uh, other types of thermomechanical processes taking place to develop or design new metals, and you need to characterize the corresponding strength characteristics, right. and you want to do it quickly, then you need a machine like ours. Yeah, yeah, very, very interesting. Yeah, so I mean, they wouldn't even need to print. They would not even need to print the actual part. They print a, you know, a suitably large enough uh, uh, cube, test yep. it, and then you'll know. So Absolutely, yeah. and and that cube, as I've described, can be quite small. It might just be one centimeter cubed yeah. in volume, you know, and right. that would be sufficient. So actually, the cost of doing your test comes down as well. Yeah, you know, because you're not printing lots of material. Um, we're working with additively manufactured companies like right now, in fact, sort of uh, validating the technology. Uh, so we're having some of these companies print material for us, and it's extremely expensive, unfortunately. Yeah, um, and it's just a, yeah. it's just rather it's just a process that we have to go through uh, at the moment yeah. to, to sort of prove out the technology. Um, right, but they can see the benefit themselves of, of of being able to rapidly characterize the strength of their materials. Sure. Yeah, yeah, good, very interesting. So, so uh, do you want to address at all, James, as far as, let's say, uh, overall lifetime uh, expense investment in a product like yours as opposed to other testing methods? I mean, we talked about workflow, ease of use, ease of reporting and things of that sort. Any, any comments on lifetime cost of use? Yeah, I can, I can say a few things. Um, first off, um, uh, our machines typically uh, retail at prices which are comparable to uh, a low-end universal mechanical test machine and okay. mid-range for a, a hardness test machine. So we're sort of right in the middle there. Okay. Um, although, as I've said before, I think um, our machine benefits from uh, having the best attributes of both. Mm-hmm. Um, it is a robust machine that's just doing uh, indentation tests. So the longevity and the robustness is is good. And strong. Uh, there are very few aftermarket parts that you might conceivably want to buy to right. bolt on. Um, you don't need suitably trained technicians either with uh, backgrounds in mechanical testing or material science. You can press the button and run it, you know, so it can yeah. sit in an office if you want it to. Right. Um, you know, so the, the lifetime costs we think are substantially better than, you know, a conventional tensile test machine, okay. for example. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, if, if people want to talk to us a bit more about uh, the commercial aspects of these machines, sure. then by all means, they can get in touch. Um, we, it might be worth mentioning, um, it's not necessary to buy our machines as well. We have leasing agreements. Oh, okay. Uh, specifically, yeah. specifically because of these capex restrictions that we're seeing out there in the market yeah. right now, but also because, well, certainly in the UK anyway, if these go on to sort of operational expenses, then there are certain tax advantages as well to doing that. Right, right. Yeah, very good. Very good. Uh, that is fine. Um, types of companies, types of companies that would find this to be really helpful. In other words, are you are you seeing that this certain industry or certain type of company is really very interested in your in your product or industry that should be that's not yet? <laughs> yeah, good question. Um, we've been extremely surprised actually um, at the level of traction that we've been able to generate so far. Um, we officially launched our machine in November last year. Okay, okay, so we're only, you know, four or five months since launch. Yeah. Yeah. But we are already talking to uh, probably 50 or 60 companies right now, uh, including some major, major tier one companies across the world. And I, I won't disclose um, yeah, at this yeah, stage. Yeah. Um, but I think um, one of the great things about materials testing 
uh, is that it's not sector or industry specific. Almost yeah. all industries need access to the strength of their materials uh, in order to design new products, for example, or to ensure that the materials and products that they produce are safe to operate and fit for purpose. Mm-hmm. You know, so at the moment, uh, we mentioned this already, we're getting a lot of interest from metal producing companies and processing companies from the additive manufacturing community, uh, where it's traditionally been quite difficult to measure the strength of their materials from aerospace companies, automotive companies, uh, from companies engaged in things like failure analysis, uh, and also from universities and research institutes too. So we're really seeing interest from a very broad range of organisations. And I think that is reflective of what I said at the beginning of this question, which is that uh, material testing is not sector or industry specific. It's it's kind of ubiquitous across all those industries. Cross-cutting. Yeah. All right. Great, James, that's good. Let me ask you a question. What are you most excited about with this company? You know, you're you're what six months into it, maybe as far as actual product out there. What's the what what puts a smile on your face? I'm curious. Oh, that's a good question. Um, there's a couple of things that put smiles on my face. Is I really enjoy working with the people I've got in my team who are as enthusiastic and as motivated as me to see this company do well. Uh, and I also really enjoy talking to um, that wide range of uh, customers um, yeah. because what I see when we talk to them is them saying, gosh, if we'd have known about this five years ago, we'd be already using it. Or they say, yeah. this is fantastic. This is exactly what we've been looking for. And it can solve this problem and that problem. Yeah. And then they start coming to me and saying, can you also change something up so we can do this and we can do that? <laughs> so all these new potential opportunities are arising because of it. So that really excites me yeah. because it, what it points to is um, additional opportunities uh, for plastic yeah. products and additional, right. you know, so yeah. you that, just, things them, hey, just be patient. Let me get, let me get the first one <laughs> off the ground and then I'll come back, you know? Yeah. Indeed. So let me ask you another, one other one. What do you worry about? What do you, what, what keeps you up at night? Only stuff you can say publicly now, you know? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What, um, <laughs> what worries me? Um, I guess the immediate concern right now is what the recovery post-COVID looks like, um, especially for certain industries like aerospace, which in ordinary times um, would have been an ideal market for a technology like ours. Yeah. Okay. So that's the type of thing that makes me worry at the moment. So we're keeping a very close eye on what the recovery looks like, not just here in the UK, but also abroad. Yeah. Uh, And then the other thing that um, I I wouldn't so much say that it worries me, but it's something that we're thinking very hard about is the standardization uh, methodology as well. Because if you want to get a technology like ours um, used broadly across all industries, uh, then one, one thing that crops up a lot is, is it certified? Is there a testing standard? Um, And at the moment, there isn't. We are compliant with a couple of testing standards around instrumented indentation testing. And we're also working right now with uh, the National Physical Laboratory in the UK, which is, uh, I guess, our equivalent of uh, your NIST. NIST. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, They are... um, working with us right now uh, as a precursor to supporting our efforts towards standardizing our test technology. Uh, and I think if we can tread that path properly, and it's a, it's a long path, it's, it's a three to five year program, Yeah. but if we can tread that path properly and get the test methodology certified, then again, additional opportunities are going to open up to us in, in those more conservative industries. Right, right. Do you have a presence in North America or are, do you have uh, a way of dealing with customers in North America? Um, we have no formal way of doing this, uh, and, and, and at the moment, it's manageable. 
right. because you know we're not getting hundreds of requests uh, every right. day. Uh, we are shipping machines to North America. Right. Uh, right. We're handling it, uh, managing it internally by ourselves at the moment. Uh, right. One of the things that we do have in our back pocket, so to speak, is is our relationship with Element. You know, one of our leading right. investors. And of course, right. we have a huge. North American presence, um, and they could certainly support us where needed. If we, if for example, we need to set up a base in North America or, yeah. or, or, or engage with distributors in North America or something like that. Right, 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 right. Good. So, if we want to know more, somebody wants to know more about Plastometrex, right? See, we we talked before we turned the recording button on about how to properly <laughs> pronounce it. It's not pla- Plastometrics. <laughs> it's Plastometrex. That's right. You All right, it. got it right. So, where do we? Where would people go if they want to find out more? And if you, if you're comfortable, James, you can give out whatever personal type of information. If you want your cell phone out there or email or whatever, you feel free to do that as well as your website, please. Sure. So, uh, first place we probably encourage people to visit is our website, mm-hmm. and that's at www.plastometrics.com. Okay. Uh, and there's information there about our machine, about its capabilities. Uh, there's some FAQs. There's lots of technical articles up there, sort of describing the underlying science, etc. There's um, uh, research public- publications that are there as well. So it's a really good source of information for people. Right. Uh, and then one of the other places I'd point people to is our LinkedIn channel. Okay. We have a very active presence on LinkedIn where we're constantly pushing out uh, material. Some technical, some promotional, some light-hearted, some serious. Okay. It's a really good place to engage with us. Actually, we've got lots of uh, educational content going out as well, so good. that's a good place. Uh, and of course, people can reach out to me directly uh, at my LinkedIn. Just search for James Dean Plastometrix. They'll find okay. me. Gotcha. Uh, gotcha. Uh, yeah, that's, that, they're, the, they're the three best ways I would say. Anything else that you think we ought to cover before we before we put a put a cork in this one? I don't think so, Doug. I'd just like to say thanks very much for the uh, invitation. It's been really enjoyable talking to you, and um, I I look forward in due course to talking to you again at some some point. Great, great. James, thanks very much. Appreciate it talking with you. No problem. Thanks, Doug. All right. Bye-bye. We hope you enjoyed today's Heat Treat Radio episode with James Dean from Plastometrics. Check out more technical episodes from Heat Treat Radio at Apple Podcasts, SoundCloud, iHeartRadio, Podbean, or simply at heattreattoday.com forward slash radio. To learn more about today's guest, please go to www.plastometrics.com. That is P-L-A-S-T-O-M-E-T-R-E-X.com. Or go to the company's LinkedIn profile for technology, promotional, engaging, and educational content. Additionally, you can reach out to James on his LinkedIn profile by searching James Dean Plastometrics. Alternatively, you can email me, and my email is bethany at heattreattoday.com. We're always interested in new Heat Treat Radio topics. Send me an email with something you find interesting, and we can talk about a future Heat Treat Radio episode. Or, if you'd like to be a sponsor of a future episode, let me know, and we'll be in touch. Again, my email is bethany at heattreattoday.com. If you like to stay up to date with the latest news, Heatreat Today can send you daily e-newsletters straight to your inbox. See the top press releases and technical articles from the North American Heatreat market in the Heatreat Daily. Subscribe to the daily at www.heatreattoday.com forward slash subscribe. Heatreat Radio would like to thank the Heatreat Buyer's Guide for sponsoring this episode. Check it out at www.heatreatbuyersguide.com. 
This and every other episode of Heat Treat Radio is the sole property of Heat Treat Today and may not be reproduced in part or in whole without advanced written permission from Heat Treat Today. Audio producer Jonathan Lloyd created and mixed most of the music that you heard today. Check out his professional work at www.jonathanlloydmusic.com. Thank you, Jonathan. And I'm your host, Bethany Funk. Thank you for listening.